Then wait in Jake Copeland's anteroom, often chatting with researchers from the Europe and South America sections as they all waited for a word with the boss. Because of the state of the world, the Asia section had recently begun reporting directly to Copeland's superior, so beyond the weekly reports and bi-weekly meetings that brought the whole world together, no one really knew what was happening in that part of the globe. They're doing it, Jabril said, once he'd gained access. He spread five pages across Copeland's desk, each with a photo, ten lines of bio, and the circumstances of the man's disappearance. It? Stumbler, Jake, it's on. Slow down. Take a breath. Jabril finally took a chair, leaned forward, and used a long brown finger to point at each of the faces. One, two, three, four, five. All gone. Just as the plan says. That's step one, by the book. Copeland frowned, rubbing an eye with the heel of his hand. Check your inbox, Jabril commanded. I sent you the memo. Copeland pulled up his email. He scrolled through Jabril's report. Wordy, isn't it? I'll wait. Copeland sighed and began to read. 22nd February, 2011. Memorandum. Subject. Unexpected developments in exile behavior. Libyan. London. On the afternoon of 19 February, after a lunch with other members of the Association of the Democratic Libyan Front, ADLF, at Momo, Hedden Street, Yusuf al-Jawali took the Piccadilly line south, presumably toward his home in Clapham, According to intelligence shared by MI5, cameras recorded that Al-Jawali was approached on the train by a man in a heavy padded coat, approximately six feet tall, Arabic features, nationality undetermined. After a brief conversation, both men disembarked at Waterloo Station and proceeded on foot to York Road, where a black Ford Explorer pulled up. Above ground, cameras noted Al-Jawali's hesitation. The explorer, it is assumed, was unexpected, but after another moment's conversation, both men got into the car. Yusuf Al-Jawali has not been heard from since. Inquiries showed that the explorer had been stolen the previous evening. It was recovered two days later in South Croydon, abandoned and wiped clean. Brussels in a similar scene, Abdurrahim Sargoun of Libyans United, L.U., boarded a bus in Place du Petit Sablon with a smaller, dark-skinned man on 20th February. Zargoun, too, is now missing. Paris. Walid Belhaj, an ex-founding member of the ADLF who was rumored to be building an as-yet-unnamed exile network, simply vanished on 20th of February. There is no record of the circumstances leading to his disappearance. Manhattan. Yesterday, 21st February, two men, Abdel Jalil and Mohammed Al-Kib of the Free Libya Organization, FLO, were seen at a wedding party on Long Island. Together they returned by train to Manhattan, where they continued to El Kib's apartment on the corner of Lexington and 89th. 
When they left an hour later, they were in the company of a man whose size suggests he is the same one who approached Yusuf al-Jawali in London. Approximately six feet, with North African features, dressed in an overcoat. Together they took the subway north to the Bronx, then boarded the BX-32 bus to Kingsbridge Heights. They presumably got off at one of four unobserved stops before the bus reached its terminus. They had been missing for sixteen hours. Assessment To place these items in perspective, one should note that the uprising in Libya is at one of its presumably many peaks. Forty-eight hours before the first disappearance, in Benghazi, Libyans stepped into the streets for a day of revolt to voice contempt for Muammar Gaddafi's regime. The Libyan government's reaction has been to strike back in a violent crackdown. The Libyan exile community, of which I am a